0: Brought to you by Hope University. You are tuned in to Purpose Therapy. On our show, we interview mission entrepreneurs all over the world. Our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas to help you see that your journey is your purpose. All right, we have an amazing, amazing uh, leader in the nonprofit sector today. He's a powerhouse. Uh, I'm super excited to do this interview. Um, He has been the executive director for Belmont Foundation, which they raised private funds that were used to enrich education. He also was a program director over at My Friend's Place, which was one of the leading drop-in centers for at-risk youth in Southern California. He was also the executive director for San Fernando uh, Rescue Mission, which their mission was to provide shelter and guidance to families and individuals. Uh, And now he sits on this amazing position over at Change Reaction as the president. It's a foundation that is changing the storyline of wealth by redistributing financial resources directly into the hands of those who need it. They partner with so many different agencies within California um, and also in different in other places as well. He's also a father of three and he's been married for over 26 amazing years. I'm super excited to have you. Um, you just been seem like a, a very consistent individual within this uh, within this sector. and so i'm I'm glad to just be able to kind of bring you in. So welcome to the show, Wade Trimmer.
1: Thanks, Garrett. I'm really happy to be here. and uh, yeah, i've been I, I definitely count myself very fortunate to to be able to have really to spend my life making an impact and uh, and I'm humbled by that because I recognize that a lot of people don't have that opportunity. so So thank you.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, let's unpack this. Like, how did you how did you end up getting into this into this field? Did you just stumble into, you know, working into this into this field or what exactly compelled you to kind of move forward in all these leadership positions?
1: Yeah. You know, Garrett, I have to say that when I first started, it felt like stumbling in. But, uh, you know, in retrospect and, you know, as I think about the trajectory of my life, And the things that were modeled for me growing up, it kind of, um, it was the path that was open to me. Uh, you know, my, my parents were always helping people in the community and we didn't grow up with a lot, but what we did have, we shared and what we didn't have, we, (laughs) we shared. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if there was somebody growing, you know, somebody, uh, broken down on the side of my, of the road, my dad would always be the first one to stop and help. And so I think it was, you know, it was just really ingrained in me early in life. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, I'm just wired toward empathy and compassion. And, um, you know, some of my earliest childhood experiences, I can remember really feeling the pain of somebody else. And um, so, you know, combining wiring with what was modeled for me, and it starts to make a little more sense. Um, but I did have, you know, I had a pivotal moment uh, almost 30 years ago where I was waiting for a movie in Westwood and a little girl walked up to me. I was with a, a couple of friends. She singled me out, walked up to me and asked me for food. Mm-hmm. And when I say little, I found out later she was 12 years old. Oh. Uh, she actually looked younger than that. And, uh, I looked at her and I said, well, where are your parents? And she said, I don't know where my parents are. So, I was 20 at the time, I think, I I thought she was lost. So I said, oh, we well, got to go find your parents. And she looked at me almost with a, almost with like a scorn in her face, <laughs> said, Mr., I'm homeless. And I said, what are you talking about? You can't be homeless. You're just a kid. Mm-hmm. And she said, I am. I just need something to eat. And and I was absolutely devastated. Absol- I just, I, had, I never knew that there would be a 12 year old little girl by herself on the streets of Los Angeles. I just, it never even entered my mind. Wow! And uh, I grew up in Northern New Mexico and that's, it's not something you see there a lot. Mm -hmm. So I said, I don't understand. Uh, Let's, I'll take you out for a piece of pizza, get a Coke. And you know, I just want to hear your story. And it was in hearing that story. And frankly, watching her walk away that night, everything in me wanted to chase, chase her and say, Hey, you can't be out here, but I didn't know what to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I had no idea, you know, thinking, yeah, I'll take her home to my college roommate and we'll now we'll have a 12 year old old girl stay with us. Well, that, that can't work. <laughs> I have no idea how to wrap my head around that. Yeah. Um, and, and then secondly, is it even legal and is it kidnapped? You know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I had no, no tools, at my, in my backpack for this situation. And I watched her walk away that night and I bawled my eyes out in the middle of Westwood. Like my, I knew my life was never gonna be the same. Mm. This, this girl had profoundly changed my my life. Wow. And that night I, I couldn't find the, I don't know, I just, I couldn't sleep inside knowing that she wasn't safe. And so I slept in a park and I I at that time made this commitment to to God and I just said, I'm never gonna be in this position again. I will find a way to to help people like Angel, this little girl. Mm-hmm. And that's that was really the pivotal moment for me. That's what changed my life really more profoundly than anything else. I've never seen Angel again. I I tell this story over and over again in hopes that someday somebody will raise their hand and say, Hey, that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there, there's something in me that every day I wake up and I think of this little girl and I ask myself, how many people can I help today? Yeah. And my challenge is always to try to help more people than I did the day before. So that's, that's really what got me going. <laughs> and, uh, and I owe it, I owe it to her quite, quite honestly.
0: Wow. That's a super impactful story. So, so i mean I, I I'm a person that's able to put you know myself in other people's shoes and I've experienced similar situations where you just kind of get into this place of helplessness and it's really difficult to kind of wrap your mind around it and some people can shut down and some people can uh react to 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 you know to what happened and, and react in a positive way what What would you say when you when you felt this helplessness um walk me through how you kind of like transition into a place to really want to go after change because a lot of people can just kind of go through that experience and then kind of turn a blind eye and then it's it's you know it's better to avoid it because you don't have the solution to it and it's just better for you know a lot of people kind of experience that and they just avoid it but rather you know changing your mindset to kind of look at it like how can I actually make a change I may never meet this girl again but I don't ever want to be in a place where I I don't know the solution. Like what was that, that, that process for you?
1: Yeah. I think that a big part of that for me was feeling, feeling frustration, um, really recognizing in that moment, here's this little girl that has been out here for at the time of several months. And she's still out here, which tells me that nobody knows what to do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And, uh, and I'm not going to be one of those people. And I have, I have this saying that frustration is fuel to make a change. Mm. And, you know, I've taught that to, to youth and to, to people that I've worked with over the years. If you're feeling frustrated, awesome. Frustration is energy. It's fuel to bring about a change. Mm-hmm. It's not just meant to, you know, go post something online because you're frustrated or go vent on the grocery store clerk. That's a, such a horrible use of that energy.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: take your frustration and turn it into positive action. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that I, I honestly think I learned as a kid playing tennis. Uh, because I used to get so frustrated with tennis and decided, no, I'm going to turn this around and actually use it to improve my game. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the way I approach frustration and and social issues is I think if more people understood that if you get engaged and you don't have the answers, that's okay. Use, use that energy to find somebody that has the answers or to create your own path, but don't just waste it. Don't just feel frustrated and do nothing. Um, And I think a lot of people hold back from getting, getting involved or, you know, making eye contact with somebody who's experiencing homelessness and even daring to ask them what their story is or what they need is that people like to fix things and it's uncomfortable being in in this tension of, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more we can live in that tension and even allow the people that need the help to teach us what we can do, then it's, it's a more reciprocal, I think, healthy kind of approach.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm super on the same page with you. I think that um, I think that, you know, uh, frustration is is one of the you know, it's like a sister to passion, you know, um, anyone yeah. that, that comes into, you know, getting that passion, it, it starts off with trying to solve a problem. And when you try to solve a problem, sometimes you get frustrated because you don't know the answer. And so it's really being able to channel it in the way that's going to be, you know, uh, effective and i think a lot of listeners especially when it comes to just trying to find their purpose or even even uh you know basically volunteering or experiencing different things it, it becomes the problem solving is is the the hump that a lot of people are trying to get through they get frustrated everybody has different emotions but the problem solving is the issue that kind of you know stops them from actually taking action and so you know i love the way you kind of broke that down is just kind of changing the narrative uh, of the of the problem and not necessarily looking at it as you know uh, I have to get angry and go tear down walls but like what's how can we take this step by step to kind of change it by just having a conversation with somebody and understanding their story rather than you know turning a blind eye to it so I I love that I love that uh, that um, that piece but I did want to go back to um, your first encounter, you said that, uh, you played a lot of tennis growing up. Did you have like a coach or a mentor or anybody that kind of helped you shape your, your mind frame when it came to, uh, getting frustrated when maybe you weren't hitting the ball the right way? Cause I, I also played sports, playing basketball and had different coaches and different things like that. So I love that example. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Well, I mean, I had older brothers and a dad that,
2: <laughs> that uh
1: you know, I think that we're really my, my coaches mm-hmm. and, um, and my dad, especially, um, where we would spend a lot of time playing tennis and, um, and other, you know, other things. But I, I also really just think that it was, um, again, I think that just partly just the way I'm wired mm-hmm. is I, I, I decided a long time ago, I have one life and I'm going to make The biggest impact i can with my one life with with as much energy as i can and tenacity and relentlessness i will always look for opportunities to make a bigger difference in my life and i think that when you think of of it in terms of life mission then it's all encompassing at least it is for me and i think okay uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna feel frustrated over something and stew on it because that doesn't help me make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, it is going to turn, I'm going to turn it into passion. Um, and sometimes honestly that passion and, you know, for anybody listening, you don't have to have the solution. So much of it is just being present with somebody who's in a difficult spot. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes we get so involved in trying to fix something that we forget that it's just somebody who's really experiencing loneliness and a lack of hope. And if we can provide that for them for a minute, then we're doing an incredible thing. Um, So,
0: yeah, I love I love that. I think it's uh, I think a lot of people kind of get tied to that, that big picture, that big vision, um, which can be very overwhelming. But when you just kind of focus on, you know, one person at a time, whether it's just a conversation, um, that right there could be the solution for the day, you know, and not necessarily have to, you know kind of create a, a you know, a general solution for for the for all the problems in right. the world. Um so I wanted to kind of dive into empathy. I think, you know, you talked about that, you know, meeting that that young young lady, the the little girl, and um obviously you tapped into this experience of overwhelming empathy where you just wanted to kind of really try to figure out the best solution. Um and and you know I, I kind of was thinking like well, well what's the what is the difference between having empathy and also passion and how do they work together? What would you like from your experience? Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. I think that's a, that's a really profound question. I think for me, um, empathy, empathy is defined as feeling with, mm-hmm. uh, versus sympathy which a feeling for. So sympathy is more like pity almost. Mm hmm. Uh, empathy when you feel with somebody it you start to start to get ingrained in in you and um and that that to me if you if that's paired with passion um or if that's a catalyst and i often think i think it often is a catalyst for passion um then you have you know these Like these two sisters, as you were saying, who, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and I think that, I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting in, in the nonprofit field, working with, you know, populations that may have a lot of challenges, whether they're homeless or, you know, young people or foster youth, whatever the case might be. I think that, um, there's always been this idea that, Hey, you have to be careful how much you care. You know it's almost like you yeah. have to you have to build some kind of wall because this could destroy you. you could just become an absolute mess mm. and i I really disagree with that um I think it's up to practitioners. I think it's up to people like you and I who do this work to learn what it looks like to regulate our emotions mm. and to take each situation and want number one feel it and then do something about it and to- um, and, and so I think that. I think that's how they, they go hand in hand for me.
0: Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Um, I, I, And I've, I've seen that in a lot of different, uh, in different fields where the empathy is kind of pulled back and, you know, and then you're supposed to also operate in passion. But I, I think that empathy is like you said, the, the, the kind of the energy fuel of that passion to, to want to see change. But if we don't, you know, feel for that person, um, it's going to be really hard to tap into that, into that passion. And so, uh, I love how you kind of broke that down. And I think a lot of individuals kind of are afraid to tap into empathy, one, because we're probably trained at a younger age of, you know, trying to not necessarily feel different things. But I personally think that our emotions are probably the most powerful compass to be able to find our, our purpose if we under, if we are able to regulate it and, and use it effectively. And I think that um, so many of us has kind of, you know, pushed away from kind of listening to those emotions are internal, uh, the internal dialogue, uh, such as like what you experienced when you met the little girl, you know, normally, you know, a lot of individuals would just be like, Oh, well, that's, that's, that's a sucky situation, you know, but you kind of listened to your inner compass and, and followed that empathy. And it led you into really creating, um, a vision for yourself and so really kinda of, Yeah, can can I can I just add something yeah, else yeah, to that, Garrett? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it reminds me of a situation a couple of years ago, we I, this is when I was the executive director of the the San Fernando Valley Rescue Mission and we had this um this grandmother staying with us, uh, who was taking care of her, her granddaughter. The mom had been incarcerated, was in prison. And you you know, I, I've seen that a lot while the grandma was staying with us, she was diagnosed with cancer and we ended up getting, you know, her and her granddaughter to an apartment. And I got a call one morning from the granddaughter who was 10. And, um, she said, Mr. Wade, um, my grandma is coming home from chemotherapy and she's sleeping on newspaper. We, she doesn't have a bed and you know, I, I empathize with that I'm very visual so I saw this picture of this woman who I know with no hair coming home from chemotherapy trying to take care of her grant her 10 year old granddaughter and literally sleeping on newspaper wow. which to this day makes me want to cry I've never had to sleep on newspaper mm-hmm. and right after so I, so I I told the little girl I said I'm running out the door, but I'm going to solve this by the end of the day. And um, I don't want you to worry about it. Um, So, right after that, I went and met with actually the founder of the Change Reaction, who then the Change Reaction didn't exist at the time. But Greg was one of our donors, Greg Curlman, and had a meeting with him right after this call with this little girl. And I was jacked up. I mean, I was, you know, I was teary. And he's like, what's going on with you today? (laughs) And I just said, man, this is what I'm feeling. And I'm so frustrated. And, and, He, when I shared that with him, he said, this is never going to happen again. Mm. I will commit to making sure that everybody that moves out of your shelter has furniture. Mm. And that year alone, we spent almost $200,000. He spent almost $200,000 ensuring that everybody that moved out had furniture. So here's the thing. When, When you are vulnerable enough to look at, you know, someone who's a multimillionaire, and, and sit down over lunch and say, hey, I'm messed up because of this. This is really affecting me. And you're vulnerable enough to share that emotion. It, it, it connects with other people mm-hmm. and they, they feel empathy as well. And that's how I think, you know, I think that when it comes to fundraising or supporting our programs, I'm like, no gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Just tell people your story. Mm-hmm. Tell people the things that you're passionate about tell them about the difference that's possible, but be vulnerable
2: mm-hmm.
1: and no, no gimmicks, no tricks, just be vulnerable. And, and, you know, if you don't have a plan, then say that, but, mm-hmm. but it's amazing how people respond to the vulnerability.
0: Yeah. That's uh, that's a powerful story. And I think that hopefully the listeners here really understand the importance of of being vulnerable, like you said, to, to, to leaders like that. Uh, I think we, we kind of get into this corporate mode, even in the nonprofit world where we don't get to a place of showing any emotion for different situations. And it, it really impacts the the resources that we, we actually tap into, um, by doing that. And, and I kind of want to kind of dive a little bit more into that and just, uh, I know Wade, you're connected by so many different people, and I just want to talk about how does you know you being vulnerable and having no gimmicks uh, create that that cycle of giving with with the different people that you've connected with? How does that impact hmm. uh, your network?
1: Well, I think I think it's one of the reasons why I have I'm very fortunate and and lucky and blessed to have such. Incredible friends and incredible network okay. is that um, gimmicks to me are very short sighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may you may win, <laughs> you may win in the short term and lose in the long term. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to win both. I want to win in the in the short term and in the long term. Mm-hmm. And the long term for me is um, I want to do as much good work and makes you know as much of a positive impact as i can with my life but i want to do it with incredible people Mm -hmm. and i don't want to do it alone i'm not this rogue you know yeah i've trailblazed in different ways but it's it's always with amazing people Mm -hmm. and um and i think that i think that vulnerability is the is the real glue that sticks us together Mm -hmm. um you know gimmicks change all the time or whatever you want to call them just you know gimmicks or just you know spin you know the way you spin something the way you you know sell something but vulnerability is a constant sort of force and um and i don't i just don't know how else to be quite honestly <laughs> so you know I, and i and i say hey it's, I, I understand it's, it's it's not even a style to me it's mm-hmm. just this is who i am and I remember there was one position that I was interviewing for that a recruiter had had recruited me for. And, uh, and I looked at this group of the executive, you know, this, this C suite that was interviewing me. And I said, here's the deal. This is who I am. And there's only one of me. And if you don't need me, then do us both a favor and just don't move forward. (laughs) But if you need me, then here I am. Mm -hmm. and and that's not a gimmick it's just being very honest and saying this is who i am this is this is what i'm growing in um and it the question is do you need one of me or do you need one of somebody else Mm -hmm. um and so i think you know i i don't know if that answers your question but i think that that's that's just the way it works in my life
0: yeah yeah and what i
1: find is related to giving is that um Is that again, nobody wants to be taken. And gimmicks, gimmicks, you know, usually the reason they're short sighted is that it's usually people, when you use a gimmick, there's buyer's remorse at some point, some Mm -hmm. point where people are like, wait, you just, what did you just do? You just took me for something that I didn't really want to give. And so, you know, with donors, uh, my relationship with donors has always been, and I've raised a lot of money in my career. And, but my relationship with them has always been, hey, I'm not here to talk you into why you should care about what I'm doing. That's the last thing I want to do. If this isn't a passion for your of yours, what are you passionate about? I know so many people. I want you to make an impact with your life. That's what you're telling me you want to do. So where do you want to make it? Let me help connect you. Mm-hmm. and And that's where you know, one of the things that my sort of submission, is that I help people get to where they wanna go. Mm. And if that's not with my organization, with what I'm up to, doesn't matter. I'm still committed to helping people get where they wanna go. If somebody says, hey, I don't care about the homeless, but I wanna do equine therapy, fantastic. I'll help, <laughs> if I can help you with that, I'd love to help you with that. Yeah. I just want you to be live a fulfilling life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kinda of how it works.
0: That's awesome. That's why there's so many people that say great things about you, (laughs) because you are a person of just wanting to impact people's purpose overall. And I think um, just to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that, what, like, I guess not many people have that type of, uh, to me, it seems like more of a mixture of humility as well as selflessness. Um, I think especially growing up, I don't know if it's an LA thing or whatever the case might be, but we see a lot of individuals that, are really trying to get ahead, um, for themselves or, um, and even just, uh, trying to, to grow what they've created and, and just having the mindset of saying, okay, well, what is your purpose? What do you want to do? And how do I connect you with, like, how did you end up kind of having that type of mindset, um, you know, early in your career like that? I think, um,
1: I think I, you know, I'm an observer also, so I, I had observed just different situations where I, I kind of asked myself, why aren't they just asking for what they need? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're, if somebody was trying to engage, you know, volunteers or engage a donor, um, and I was part of those, you know, conversations, I, I guess I would just leave those thinking, why didn't. Why all the the beating around the bush? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) To to me, you know what it is, Garrett? To me, it's like the issues that you and I work on are urgent. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's up to us to nurture that urgency and to make sure that everyone on our team is on the same page with the urgency. Mm -hmm. And urgency... Trumps to me urgency trumps everything Mm -hmm. um when when somebody reaches out to us in my in my current role uh and and they need their car repaired because they can't get to work i never lose sight of and i've taught my team and and the team doesn't really need to be taught because they already get this that's why they're on the team um never lose sight of the fact that there's a, a human being on the other end of that request that is waiting on pins and needles to see if somebody's going to help make their life work today right. and always have that sense of urgency. We're not going to set up a committee. It's like, if, if, if the building's on fire, you don't sit down and go, okay, let's set up three committees to figure out how we're going to put this fire out. <laughs> and then we'll meet again tomorrow. It's like how many people are going to be destroyed in that process? Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of the frustrations I think with just the political system and with with government systems is that they're so slow and 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 they're not set up to respond mm-hmm. urgently, which is really why nonprofits, in my opinion, exist mm-hmm. to say we can be treat this with urgency. Unfortunately, the bigger an organization gets, often the urgency is diminished. Yeah, and and I think it's just incumbent on nonprofit leaders. Uh, people who want to make a difference in their life, in, in you know, with their lives, to always maintain the sense of urgency.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, that that's what I see my role as, as a leader, primarily is making sure that the team and that the mission and the board, everyone is in alignment with. This is urgent. People, we are we are about alleviating suffering, and if we take too slow of an approach, we're people are going to suffer.
0: Yeah. That's that's big. That's one thing. Uh, you know, I definitely love the organization you're at right now with Change Reaction. You guys are definitely changing that that whole scenario because I've been in working in the industry for a while and I see how slow it is. And I, I really it doesn't really wrap my mind like I can't wrap my mind around it when you have the ability to be able to serve, but you're you're making the process even more, you know, just slower, which makes the individual Uh, have to figure out different ways or you can't get in contact with them it's just it's like why why you know prevent what we can do now uh and and prolong it 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 just seems like it's just a definitely a you know messed up system so
1: yeah uh, and and along with that i think that um i think it's become almost acceptable let's just just imagine that you or i You know, we have resources, we have a place to live, we have food in the fridge, we have a car with gas in it, you know, our needs are taken care of. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you call, your internet was down and the internet company said, okay, we'll fill out this application and we'll get back to you in, you know, in four to six weeks Mm -hmm. and we're going to have to come in and do an inspection and, you know, and then we'll get back in another four to six weeks. It wouldn't be acceptable. <laughs>
0: We'd be right? late, Yeah.
1: But that is what people in need live every single day. Yeah. Yeah. The, the people experiencing homelessness who, you, you know this, but people experiencing homelessness who have a section eight voucher. And then it's like the game of, okay, well, who's going to take the voucher? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's month, you know, it can be weeks long yep. to try to find somebody then it's okay. Now the city has to come in and they have to inspect and that's going to take several weeks. And guess what? Now you're looking at three, four, six, nine. I've seen it take a year down the road Mm -hmm. until somebody can move into an apartment. Mm -hmm. It's, it's absurd. Mm -hmm. And, and what it tells me is there's a different set of rules for these people. Mm -hmm. And, and it is, again, it's up to us. I think, disrupt that i think it's up to us to speak out against that and also to make sure that we're not creating systems within our own organizations that play that game
0: right right yeah that's uh that's powerful i there's so many different things that we can see you know just talk about as far as like you know the what's holding a lot of different situations back um but i also wanted to kind of dive into did you ever i've heard a lot of different people kind of create like their own personal mission statement you seem very clear on your 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 actual mission within life did you create something like that early on or was it just something that as you got older things became more clear for you mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would say. I mean, I'm I'm 48 now. I would say it was probably in my early 30s that I I feel like it kind of. Um, I think you and I have talked about this. There are certain times in your life where you can see a pattern emerge, and mm-hmm. I think it's really important to stop, and to look at that pattern and kind of go, Wait, I thought all that stuff was random, <laughs>
2: you know, <laughs> the
1: job, at Ben and Jerry's, and then you know, like <laughs> all these different things that I had done, or my educational pursuits, mm-hmm. and then. You realize when you, you know, there are these times in life where you see a pattern, and you kind of go, wait a second. No, that wasn't so random.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's actually a pattern that formed. And what is that pattern? And what is the, you know, what is the theme? Mm-hmm. And I, I just think it's important, you know, to ask ourselves those questions. Like what, what has been the theme? What am I naturally, what do I naturally find myself doing? Yeah. Um, and it's something that I, I feel like I refine pretty often. Um, you know, it's funny, Gary, I'm, I've set myself this year to learn 52 new skills. So a new skill every week. Wow. And, and it's everything from, uh, I'm actually learning how to ride a unicycle right now. Not right now, but after our call, I'll, I'll go practice, <laughs> uh, for my lunch break. Um, and, uh, and I was, so I was riding my unicycle the other night or trying to, and, uh, and my wife cracking up at me because it's like. 9:30 at night, and I'm out, you know, trying to ride my unicycle. And as I as I'm doing it, I'm thinking about, um, you know, just the skills I was developing. Like, wow, I'm finding myself being a little bit more patient, and
2: mm-hmm. whatever
1: the case. But I, I was in that moment, I was thinking about uh, what had happened on Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, at the castle. Yeah. So this was two nights ago, and. And I just took the opportunity, again, I was like, I'm so frustrated. That day I was just sitting in, you know, sitting in my office, just trembling, Mm -hmm. just broken hearted, sad, just, you know, how did it come to this? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, that night that I just, I just kind of like renewed my resolve and just said, hey, uh, again, frustration, I'm going to use it for for fuel. And uh, I got my family together and I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make an even greater commitment to being a positive force in the world, to being kind and compassionate to our neighbors. Like nobody can take that away from us.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, and so I think it's just something that's always like a guiding. It's like the North star for me.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I totally believe in the breadcrumbs that we, over time we kind of overlook and we don't necessarily see that these are different things that kind of teach us the, you know, different principles that we end up instilling in our hearts. And I think, um, you know, I do this with our youth all the time as I create like a timeline and just kind of let's let's create a timeline and see what are some things that really impact you? What are some things that, you know, you experienced and, and, you know, some things are bad, some things are good. But, you know, when you really are able to kind of see it on paper or see it in front of you, you actually see, Okay, well, I'm actually an expert in this, in this area because I've experienced it so many times, you know? And so I think, you know, when, you know, for, for you just kind of telling that, 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 um, that story, it just really helps me to be able to see that, you know, there's a lot of different breadcrumbs that we, we have to see and kind of look back and kind of pause and think about those things. And that's what kind of creates our story. And then it becomes a principle for our families. And then, you know, those, your family ends up, you know, passing that along as well. So, You know, that's a, yeah, that's an amazing, you know, thing to kind of think back on. Um,
1: Yeah. And sometimes with those breadcrumbs, it's, you know, you can also look and say, wow, these, actually, this pattern is is not something I'm interested in. I want to change it. I want to do something different. And, and I think that's you know, when you're working with young people, really it applies to anybody, but I think we have an incredible opportunity to tap into one of the most important things about humanity and that is dreams, vision, imagination
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and when you when you realize wait a second, uh, apart from you know apart from breaking the laws of physics, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can do anything. Mm-hmm. The world is a playground. Mm-hmm. I, I get to dictate the way my life looks. Is it gonna is it gonna take work? Yeah, it's gonna take a lot of sweat equity, but just the same as when you're a child and you're learning to ride a bike, I think that you know most of us as kids when we were learning to ride a bike, it was never a question of whether or not we were going to be able to ride our bike without training wheels. Right. It was just a belief that at some point it was going to happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We just had to start somewhere. Yeah.
2: yeah,
1: and you know, and I think really tapping into that, being like, hey, remember. Remember all these things that you've learned, you know, when you were younger,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: there was never any question about whether or not it was going to happen, but we somehow, I think is sometimes when we get older, we kind of forget that. Um,
0: Anyhow. We definitely lose our uh, imagination as we get older, and and I I, I love the way you basically kind of explain that. You know, sometimes we get into a place of responsive. We're always re- we're responding to all these different things, such as the situation at the Capitol. It's like, you know, we get to a place of of responding to, you know, what what is going on, and 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 you had to kind of reposition yourself to understand. Hey, I I don't need to be a respo- I need to be a, a person that's not necessarily responding, but reactive, making my choice of how I'm going to kind of move within my life and imagine what, what we can do if we impact as a family for other people. So I really, I really love that. And I also want to kind of tap into the idea of like what you were talking about as far as vision. I think a lot of people kind of, uh, have a hard time kind of cultivating that, you know, mission statement for themselves as well as a vision for themselves. And that, and that, and that's the missing link of imagination. A lot of youth, you know, a lot of people just have a hard time really being able to imagine what their vision is because they're always focusing on responding to the situation right now. And one of the quotes that you had, uh, I think you said it one time where it's a uh, vision without action is a dream. Action without vision is a nightmare. I don't know if you got that yeah. from someone, but I, I love that quote. Well, what does it mean? To, what does the action without vision mean to you?
1: Yeah, I think what I think that it's it lacks it lacks the ability to make uh, a, a more significant impact, um, mm-hmm. and and I think that you know here's the thing is that um, good intentions aren't enough, and uh, you know there's there's this story that I use all the time about and there's a book called Toxic Security. I don't know if you've read it. If mm-hmm. you haven't, then I'll pick it up for you, but. Um, there's a story in this book toxic charity about, um, this, uh, this, this church group that decided they were going to go pay for a well and dig a well in this village in Eastern Africa. Mm-hmm. So they, they had, you know, 20 people pay, you know, like $3,000 a pop, so that's $60,000 to go <laughs> dig a well that, uh, you know, cost about $1,500 to dig. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the team was super excited about it. They came, they showed all these, you know, all these pictures to the church. And then, uh, they, they took another team back and the next team was like 40 people. So now you're looking at like $120,000 and they went over and they, they saw that the women were going down to the river again to get water. And they they met, met with the village elders and said, Hey,
0: we've
1: dug you a well. And they said, yeah, you did, but you didn't tell us how to fix it. <laughs> and three months after you left, it broke. Wow. And, and, what ended up happening is that this church had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this one well they literally could have dug 200 or 300 wells with this money Mm -hmm. they could have given the money to the indigenous people and taught them a skill they could have you know brought other nonprofits in to help develop you know sources of wealth for the community because there was enough water to actually get it into other communities there are all these things And finally, this nonprofit comes in and they kick them out and they say, you can't come back here. You're doing more damage than harm. I mean, more damage than good. And I think to me, that's why action without vision, if you don't have a greater vision, like, okay, we want to dig a well. Great. Start asking questions about the best way to go about that. Mm -hmm. How can you engage the people who are experiencing this? Don't come in as a white savior or any kind of savior. People have the skills to, you know often to lift themselves out of things um so i think that's where you know action without vision can be a nightmare you can actually end up doing a lot of damage Mm -hmm. um or it's just not impassable you know it's just not um it it doesn't really matter at the end of the day but it may feel good for you yeah um vision to me is like audacious you know our vision right now with the change reaction is to restore faith in humanity Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's as moonshot as you can get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Elon Musk being like, "Yeah, we're gonna go habitate Mars." And you're like, "Okay,
2: good, good luck with that."
1: <laughs> but it's like, no, that's what he's doing, right? I mean, he's taking steps to do that. And and we have this audacious goal of restoring faith in humanity. We want more and more people to to believe that there are good people in the world.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. And it's
1: audacious, and it's like, well, how do you measure it? I don't know. I, but that's what we're about. That's what we're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's powerful. I love the fact that, you, you know, you kind of go, like you said, it's, it's, it's audacious, but as far as the measurements it, that, that sometimes doesn't always have to line up as long as you're being, you have good integrity towards your goal. You have good integrity on, on what your, your overall vision is. And, and I love that you guys are, because are, that's, that's super needed. I think that <laughs> you know, faith in humanity is, is definitely during this time is, has been questioned a lot. So, um, yeah, that's. Well, that...
1: I think vision also becomes the filter by which you make decisions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have, you have a lot of opportunities that come, come your way. Mm-hmm. And the question for me is, okay, this looks fun. I mean, it looks exciting. A lot of things are fun and exciting. But as a leader, my the central question is, is this gonna help restore faith in humanity?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and
1: if it's not, then I move on. I kind of go, well, you know, it looks like good stuff, but I'm just not going to spend any time
0: on it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, being honest about that is, is also the hard thing. I think we get tied into, um, emotionally to, to, you know, whatever idea that we have, but it's important to be honest as far as what the overall goal is and if, if we're hitting it or not. And I think, um, the last question before we wrap up is just what does it look like? I mean, how do you cultivate consistency when it comes to vision? I think that's a big part of what Mm -hmm. I see with a lot of, uh, you know, leaders and individuals that are, you know, wanting to do something, but, um, you know, they have the vision, but having that consistency, because you've been doing this for years and you're constantly having a consistent vision for not only yourself, but the different organizations that you work with. And so um, how how do you cultivate that? Yeah. I
1: mean, the first thing I think of is, is, you know, I'm good at, like, two or three things,
2: you know, quite honestly.
1: <laughs> and, um, and you know, capable of more than that. But, uh, you know, it, uh, things that I can do. Um, and that's why I think it's so important that you have a team that's in alignment. Um, because it's, it's lonely at the top, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that, you know, as a leader, you don't always know what am I contributing today? It's, you know, you know, this cause you don't always have the to do list that everybody else has,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it's about, for me, it's really about making sure that I'm nurturing um, that vision mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm protecting the vision. I'm nurturing the vision. I'm, I'm feeding my own um, you know, I'm feeding myself to make sure that, you know, either what I'm reading or what I'm, you know, what I'm focusing on or thinking about with things that will, that will nurture that vision. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, um, it's a relentless, unapologetic, this is what we're doing and I am dead serious about it. Mm -hmm. uh, And I want everybody else to be as well. I think the most frustrating times I've had in my career is when I'm passionate about a vision and it's agreed upon by everybody. And that there's division the in the team, and I haven't experienced this often, but uh, the times I have, it's incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if other people have different visions and they want to try to lead it, you know, try to create their own vision, um, and that's where I say, you know, as a leader, you have to you have to give people like that an opportunity to either get on board or get off the bus,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and to be unapologetic about it. Mm-hmm. This is what we're up to, and again, it goes back to urgency. I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. If you want to make your own thing, go make your own thing, but you're not going to do it here. Yeah, because this is why we exist, and this is what our what our vision is. And if you don't like it, then you're in the wrong place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't care who you are, uh, donor, volunteer. It's like <laughs> if you want to make it something that it's not, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and I think that that's you know. The, it's incumbent on leaders to, to be that protective
0: yeah yeah no I, I love that I think uh, <laughs> I think having that mindset of not necessarily caring what they're labeled as whether they're a donor or a stakeholder or whatever the case might be um, but having your your bottom line always on on your on your mind um, and not being afraid of being able to uh, really um, call someone out on that is uh you know that that's a huge piece that a lot of uh, especially in the nonprofit area where uh, I see a lot of people a little too afraid of these different stakeholders or these funders or different things like that that can actually um really change the culture of your organization or change the culture of your of your vision and um so I, I love that 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 piece of advice right there I appreciate that
1: yeah the last thing I would say I know we're wrapping up is that when you're that relentless about and protective and nurturing your vision you will attract the right people mm-hmm. you'll attract people who are like i'm i'm 100 in mm-hmm. you know and and i believe in it and i can see that you're focused when you're trying to attract everybody i can't think of a bigger mess yeah you know yeah um i mean apple knows who their customers are mm-hmm. they're not trying to attract everybody they know who their customers are um you know, as does every, most, most large businesses, they know their customer base and they speak to that customer base. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, you know, not every company is trying to attract everybody. And so I think that it's the same in the nonprofit world. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and the difference being, you know, we're not here to please our shareholders or give them a better return. We're here for, for our staff, for our clients, for the people we serve, the community, And uh, again, (laughs) I guess that's the theme today is the urgency that I bring to the table around those issues is really what, what my product is. Mm
0: Wow. Wow. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for drop, dropping all those gems today. Uh, and thank you for, you know, just everything, all the services that you've been doing uh, since you've been here. You've definitely been an impact to the world and, and also a huge impact for me. So thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for, for listening. Thank you, Garrett. No problem.